0: welcome so glad to see you guys here today so next sunday we will return to our study in mark's gospel Um, if you're visiting with us today i just want to let you know we are in the process right now of studying through the gospel of mark Uh, but we've been taking a little break from that right now last sunday and this sunday uh, specifically because god really has our church on a very exciting journey. Uh, Not only have we been growing, which is so wonderful uh, to see, and we're so thankful to the Lord for that, but he's been leading us into, I think, really, what I can only describe as a new place in our church's history. Uh, We are in the process of changing our church constitution right now. And Pastor Ken and I are, are behind this, the deacons are all Uh, in unanimous agreement with this move of moving toward an elder-led church. Uh, And so I've taken last Sunday, and I'll be taking this morning for the message time, just really to kind of teach on that and to explain that. Uh, Many of you who receive emails from the church, if you've given us your email address, you probably received in your email inbox this last week a copy of the new proposed constitution for the church. I would certainly encourage you to read through that carefully. There are some paper copies out in the hallway uh, if you didn't receive that email. But this is something that I would ask you, if you're a member here, if you're a part of the Fellowship Baptist Church family, please take this seriously i don't think we have made a more significant change in our church's history than the one that we are embarking to make right now to move towards an elder led government and and the reason we're doing this is because we believe that it's very clearly what the bible teaches and where scripture is clear there's no reason for us to do anything else as a matter of fact it's quite wrong for us to do anything else Uh, and so we're making that change a couple really important dates that you need to have on your calendars uh... sunday june twenty seventh after the morning service there will be an informational meeting on this, and this would be for anyone to come to, whether you're a member here or you just you, you consider us home but you haven't joined the church yet and you want more information, you have questions. Uh, we'll be talking about the actual Constitution and what's written in it, and then there'll be a time for questions and answers after that. That's Sunday, June 27th, right after the morning service. And then Sunday, July 11th, is our quarterly business meeting and that will be just for members uh, and we would want you to come and be ready to vote at that time on the Constitution and not just the new Constitution but on the four prospective volunteer elders and I'm gonna give you those names often up until that time so you can be praying And thinking about this and even talking with these men uh, but again pastor ken myself the deacons all completely agree uh, that pastor woody nelson carl waberitz tim Hines senior and josh likens are the four men that we would like to present to the church uh, to be uh, lay elders if you're not familiar with that phrase volunteer elders and what that means is they're not on staff they're not going to be compensated for their time and their work but they're volunteer men who will become pastors here. It's very important you understand that, that they become they would become elders of this church. So, to that end, let's dig into God's Word today and let me explain all of that to you, if, if these are new concepts at all. Uh, last Sunday, uh, we talked about the office of deacon. And I, I just want to do a very quick review in case you weren't with us. Last Sunday, really quickly, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos in the New Testament. Diakonos is the Greek word. It's translated deacon in the New Testament. And, and it really just means servant. A deacon is a servant. And so in one sense, we are all deacons here. Men, women alike, all of us. If you would say, I am a Christ follower... I follow Jesus Christ. How many, is that true of you? Let me see your hands. All right, awesome, good to know. All right, if you're a Christ follower, then in that sense, you are also a deacon. You should be. You should be seeking to serve because that's what the word means. Now, as part of God's plan for the administration of his church, though, he does call some men to serve in the office of deacon or what we have called here a lead servant. And deacons have three primary responsibilities. Again, this is all review from last week. Number one, to meet specific needs within the church body. Number two, to enable the elders of the church to fulfill their responsibilities. And then number three, to bring unity to the church body. Remember that not everyone can serve as a deacon. We talked about this last Sunday. The New Testament gives a very clear list of qualifications. But even if you are not called to serve by holding the office of deacon, you are still called to spiritual leadership. This is how I ended the message last Sunday, to make sure that we all understand we don't get a free pass on this. All of us, in one way or another, each of us is called to lead other people spiritually so if you're a teenager here then you are called as a christ follower to lead your friends uh, other teenagers or children or even adults spiritually you're called to lead others spiritually all of us are no matter what our station in life is no matter what our vocation is no matter our age we are called to be spiritual leaders we should all be available for God to use us to bring about spiritual transformation in the lives of other people well this morning we're going to look at the other office and it's the one that we're really making this shift to incorporate here at fellowship because throughout our history we have had elders We've had a pastor here at this church. Or at different points, like right now, we've had multiple pastors. So right now, and again, I'm saying this for those of you who might be new to fellowship, right now we have two pastors at our church, myself and Pastor Ken. And we are elders. We already are elders. That's, that's what the biblical words mean, and I'm going to walk through those here with you. But we're right now making the shift to incorporate multiple elders so let's dig into this a little bit if last week we defined deacons as lead servants if deacons are lead servants then let's define elders as servant leaders we're just going to flip that a little bit elders can be defined as servant leaders a little background here might be helpful I've, i've referenced this already but let me actually show it to you And how it plays out in the new testament there are three distinct greek words that are used in relationship to elders in the new testament and they're right there for you on the screen Uh, those are the actual greek words presbyteros episkopos and poimen so presbyteros the one that you see at the top is translated in the new testament elder in your english copy of the bible that's what you see it's Elder in scripture. And, and this word has its roots in Judaism. So even in the Old Testament, they would have used this word because it goes back into the Old Testament scriptures or into the history of Israel. The second word, episkopos, that you see there is when you see in your English copy of the New Testament, it's translated overseer. So when you see overseer in scripture, it comes from this word episcopus. And this is this is where we get the denomination Episcopalian from. See, so there's that, that connection there. But an episcopus is an overseer. And this word has its root more in Greek culture. So this comes out of Greek thinking, but used in the New Testament. And then there's the third word that you see there, poimane. And this is often translated in the New Testament into English, shepherd or pastor. Now, here's the important part of everything I'm saying right now. These words in the New Testament are used interchangeably. They're used interchangeably. They all refer to the same office of leadership. An elder, an overseer, a shepherd, a pastor, all make reference to the exact same office of leadership in the bible and we see this many times in the new testament i have to move really quick with you today so i'm only going to give you one passage where all three words are used in reference to the same position of authority in the church peter's writing here and he says in first peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 and and I threw the Greek words in there for you too so that you could see how they're all used in the same passage. He writes to the elders, the presbyteros among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, presbyteros, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And then he says, be shepherds. That's the other word, pomane, that we just talked about, of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. That's the third word, episkopos. So right there, they're all used in reference to the same group of men. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrust it to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So here, Peter is giving very uh, clear um, clear directions to the leaders of the church, but what we also see in this passage is that these three words, these three ideas, all reference the exact same group of men. So first, let's understand that in the New Testament, elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd are words that all reference the same office of spiritual leadership. An elder is a pastor. A pastor is is an elder it's the same thing in the bible i also think it's important for us to realize that the new testament uh, seems to teach that there are multiple elders leading one single church That when this is talked about in the New Testament and and the church is talked about, and by that I mean a local assembly like what we have here at Fellowship Baptist, there are multiple elders, multiple pastors that are leading the church. Now, that's a New Testament principle, but let me tell you, there's also some very practical reasons why that is so important. There's some really important advantages to having multiple elders, and I wish that I had time to unpack each of these for you, but I pretty much have time just to say them. First of all, there's more men to help with shepherding the flock. And let me tell you, this can be a big job. What I do can be a big job. There's, there's a lot to it. And, and if you have multiple pastors at a church, multiple elders, then you have more men to help with the shepherding of the flock. Number two, there's accountability among themselves. They can hold each other accountable in life and in doctrine. Number three, they maintain stable leadership during change. And I have to just say something on this one. Many of you, like me, have grown up in churches just like Fellowship Baptist. For some of you, you grew up in Fellowship Baptist. How many of you, raise your hand, if this, this has been your home church your entire life. Let me see your hands. Wow, keep them up for just a second. Everybody look around. A lot of people have been here their entire lives right and so here's the thing that happens because for me i can own this too because if you took away the fellowship baptist church sign out front and you put grand ledge baptist on it or you put grace baptist on it or you put grizzled street baptist on it it's basically fellowship baptist church So I basically grew up at a church just like this one. And here's the thing that always happens. A pastor comes in and he changes a bunch of stuff and a lot of things happen, right? And then God calls that pastor away for whatever reason or he retires or moves on and there's a leadership vacuum that happens, And then everybody figures out, well, what are we going to do? We better put a search committee together. Let's call a new pastor. And then that pastor comes in and does the same thing. And that cycle goes on and on and on. And I don't think that is what God intended for the leadership of his church. The beauty of this model of having multiple elders that lead the church is one day when I retire probably only going to be like 12, 13, 14, 15 years from now. But one day when I retire, this church is just going to keep moving forward because there will be multiple other pastors leading the charge here. It's a beautiful way to operate. It maintains stable leadership during times of change. And then the fourth one you see there is that they can encourage one another during times of difficulty, and this is so important, of course, as well. All right, now let's jump into this next part. What is the role of an elder? And I should have told you this, but basically everything I'm saying is on the the note sheet in your bulletin. And so if you want a quick reference to these questions or passages or main ideas, you might want to take a look at that. But what is the role of an elder? What are the responsibilities of an elder? These are on your note sheet. Um, I can only give you what I consider to be the main three. There is more to this. Than what i'm going to talk about but this is what we have time to cover first of all elders lead under the authority of christ and i'm just going to bomb you with scripture as we talk about these because that's what matters is what god's word says Elders lead under the authority of Christ. 1 Timothy 4.11, Paul is talking to Timothy who is an elder at a church. He's a young elder at a church. And this is what he says to this young elder, this young pastor. He says, command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Elders have authority in the, bo- in the body of Christ. Elders are entrusted by Christ with the responsibility of leading the church. The author of Hebrews writes this, and, and he's talking to church members, he's talking to a congregation, and he says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you." Now, I've preached this passage to groups of pastors before, and because there's a lot in here that holds us pastors accountable, that's so important here that we should take seriously our call to ministry, but what it also communicates to congregation members is that God appoints and calls men to lead the flock and that congregation members should submit themselves to their authority. All through the New Testament, we see that the responsibility of the elders is to manager and shepherd the church. In Acts chapter 20, this is really evident. Paul is speaking to elders at the church of Ephesus And this is what he says uh, to those elder pastors in Acts 20, 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you. And then he uses that word episkopos, overseers. And then he says, be shepherds, be poimen, the Greek word poimen, of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What a responsibility it is. Let's feel the weight of Paul's charge to the elders in that last statement. Being an elder is a high calling, but it is also a very weighty task. When I accepted the call to pastor this church a couple of years ago, I felt immediately, I felt the weight of that on my shoulders, and I will carry that weight on my shoulders until the day I die or resign or leave this body because there is a weight to being an elder. There is a weight to being a pastor. Now, I'm probably right now scaring the four men to death who have committed to being volunteer elders here, but you've already committed. There's no way out, guys. No, I'm just just kidding. Can't approach church leadership lightly and understand the significance of this verse. And then when I think about all the kids here, I feel it doubly. I don't know if that's theologically right or not, but when I think about all the children that we have care over here, I feel that weight doubly right now because we are really, what we are doing right now, what God has enabled us to do here at Fellowship could affect generations to come in this area, amen? And there's a weight to that. I hope we all feel that to some degree, but to those of us who have accepted the call to lead this church, we, we should really feel that. It's a heavy weight to carry. Every leader of the church is accountable to Jesus, to care for the people that Christ died for. And and realizing that should bring humility, should bring humility to church leadership. And so for that reason, when we talk about the authority of being an elder, what we're not talking about is authoritarians, but what we're talking about is being servant leaders. And that's why I've entitled the message, What I Did Because an elder, even though there's authority there, shouldn't be an authoritarian, he should be a servant leader and he should approach the task humbly, realizing that there's an incredible weight that comes with it. Their aim is to build up the body and this is what Paul writes to the Ephesians Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Again, we talked about this last Sunday. The goal is maturity, maturity in Christ for every one of us. And Paul says here to the Ephesians, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God does not want you or me to stay a fat baby in Christianity. Right? That's not his will for us. It is God's will for us is not just that we get saved and then stay in that same place the rest of our life. We are to be growing towards maturity in Christ every single day. One of us. So, first of all, elders lead under the authority of Christ. Second, moving forward here, second, whoops, not sure what happened there. There we go. Second, there we go. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, that's one I want. Second, elders care for the body of Christ. Elders care for the body of Christ. First Peter 5, 2. Uh, we looked at this passage already, but I just want to remind you of verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. What does it look like for an elder to shepherd the flock? There are multiple aspects to this church, but one thing elders do in caring for the flock and shepherding the flock is they protect the flock. How does an elder protect the flock? Paul, again, to the Ephesian elders, as recorded in Acts 20, you see the passage there, verses 29 through 31, at the bottom of the screen. This is what Paul says. I know that after my departure... Paul's talking to them because he's about ready to leave Ephesus. He's leaving their church, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, he's not talking about real wolves because they're not real sheep. He's talking about false teachers that are going to come in and start teaching errant theology, right? False theology, he says, they're going to come in, and they're not going to spare the flock. Verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. He says, this is even going to happen within the body. People are going to be in your church, and they're going to be being disciple for a time, but then their minds are going to go astray, and they're going to start to go off into false theology. And then they're going to begin to teach this within the body to draw away the disciples after them. And this is what Paul says to these elders. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Elders need to protect the church against false teaching. When I think about what my responsibility here at Fellowship Is Church, this is one of the primary things I think about. It is my obligation to make sure that our body of believers is protected against false theology, erring ideas within the body. Does that make sense? It's very important. So elders refute error. Elders guard the congregation from teaching that would threaten the gospel. And that's why sometimes I will name names in Christianity. I will, and I have talked about people, like my old friend from Grand Rapids, Rob Bell, who 25 years ago was a great Bible teacher, but started to gradually step away from Orthodox theology, and now what he preaches and teaches is nothing that even resembles Christianity. That was hard for me. Rob Bell and I used to play in the same Christian band circuit in Grand Rapids. I knew him. He was a pastor at my church once upon a time right? But it's important for elders, for pastors, to guard the flock against wrong ideas that see- seep into the church, amen? And so this is, this is an important part of what it means to be an elder. Titus 1.9, Paul says to Titus, another elder, a pastor on Crete, and, he, and he's instructing him concerning other elders on the island of Crete, and he says to him, He, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Well, that leads to the third and And uh, third responsibility of the elders, and again, I'm not giving you an exhaustive list here, but these are the three that I had time to share this morning. Elders teach the word of Christ. And this is really the, the opposite side of that coin. Elders refute error within the body, and elders teach the truth. Elders teach the word of Christ. This, to me, what you see on the screen in 2 Timothy chapter 4 This is one of the the passages in the Bible that I love the most and also scares me to death the most as someone who teaches God's word on a consistent basis. Paul writes to Timothy, and this is what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and saying, Timothy, your job is to preach the word. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Because already, Paul's saying to Timothy, there's all these errant ideas within Christianity. There's all this false teaching. And what you have to do, Timothy, is you have to stay committed to the truthfulness of God's word. That's what you have to do. And, and, and church, let me just say, I, I'm not always one, you know this, you guys know that I'm not always one to say, oh, we're, you know, we're living in the last days, and you know, I don't see Satan behind every rock and tree out there. Okay, but here's what I will say right now, is if there ever was a time in history where this is a concern, it's right now. If there ever was, an, and, and why? Because you have information at your fingertips. And there's a beautiful, wonderful part of that, that you can listen to sermons and podcasts all day long if you want to. And, and you know, we have great access to communication because of the technology at our disposal. And I'm one who utilizes that, and I'm one who believes that those things should be used for the kingdom. I remember when I was younger, and we would talk about things like, how are we going to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain? <laughs> how are we going to fly transistor radios and drop them into uh, Muslim-occupied occupied countries so that people can hear the gospel? Right? That dates me. That's going back 30, 40 years. That's not as much of a concern anymore because now great ministry can happen over the internet and people all over the globe have access to it, praise God. And that's a wonderful thing, but also with that, also with that comes the danger. It's so easy to start listening to the wrong voices, isn't it? It's so easy to be led astray today and to gather around yourselves teachers who say exactly what you want to hear. Paul's charge to Timothy here is, regardless of that, preach the word. Stay committed to the truth. This is the call of a teaching elder. Uh, Pastor David Platt, I think, says it so well when he wrote, if the elder knows the word and obeys the word, then he is fit to lead in the church. If he wanders from the word, he's no longer fit to lead in the church. We don't follow elders or pastors simply because they have a position. We follow them because they know the word, teach the word, and follow the word. Can I make this real? If I ever stop teaching preaching this book. Get rid of me. Kick me right out the door. John Gilman just signed up for that team. <laughs> and, I, and I'm with them because that's why we follow pastors and elders, because they're teaching the word. Now, does that mean that all elders have to be preachers? In order to be an elder, does it mean that you have to be able to get up here and do what I'm doing right now, that you have to be comfortable doing that or see that as your calling? Well, Pastor Thabidi Anyabwile, who's just written brilliantly about this in his book, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons, wrote this. He said, Paul's criterion, able to teach, refers to the ability to communicate and apply the truth of Scripture with clarity, coherence, and fruitfulness. Those who have this ability handle the scriptures with fidelity and others are edified when they do. This ability is not limited to public speaking from the pulpit. Men with this ability might be gifted public speakers or they might simply be gifted for one-on-one or small group settings. Some men are not exceptional public speakers, but they are teaching and counseling the people around them from the scriptures all the time. And Pastor Anya Boyle says, such men should not be disqualified from the office of elder. So on that note, let's look quickly at the qualifications for an elder. And really, there's there are a couple of go-to passages for this. and I especially as we approach this vote in our congregation, I would strongly encourage you to meditate on first Timothy three and Titus one. and what you see Paul writing there about the the uh, qualifications and the characteristics of an elder but first it's right there for you in the screen but first timothy 3 1 through 7 paul writes and says here's a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer an elder a pastor we know this now he desires a noble task now the overseer must be above reproach the husband of but one wife temperate self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. And, and Paul says this is really logical in verse 5. He says if, if someone doesn't know how to manage their own family, how can they take care of God's church? Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So there are several characteristics that we see here for elders, 15 altogether. It's interesting to me that the only one that has to do with a skill is the ability to teach. Look back over that again all the other 14 are all character they're all traits of someone's character They're qualities of that person as a christ follower only the ability to teach is a competency issue again i don't have time to teach on all 15 of these this morning i'm going to quickly look at two with you and then we're done so let's look at just two of these very quickly. First of all, the elder must set an example for others. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Now the overseer must be above reproach. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Again, Timothy's a young pastor. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and in faith and impurity. Now, of course, nobody other than Jesus Christ is perfect. Amen. So don't expect perfection from your elders. (laughs) Don't expect perfection from either Pastor Ken or myself, for sure, or the four men that we're presenting to you as volunteer elders here. I mean, if that was your hope of having a perfect pastor, I'm sorry, but you really hired the wrong guy. (laughs) I am hopelessly flawed. And once you've spent five minutes with me, you know that. And, And all of us will err. We will all make mistakes. However, elders ought to live lives worth imitating, lives that reflect the character of Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. They're at the bottom of the screen, 1 Corinthians 11.1. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. What he's saying is, look, you guys don't have Jesus anymore. He went back up to heaven with God. <laughs> I'm who you have. And so imitate me, and I'm going to do my best to imitate Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. He writes to the the Philippians something very similar. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, He says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So here's the question for any elder, for anybody who's an elder, a pastor, right? Here's a good question to ask. If you were accused of wrongdoing, would your own character serve as your defense? If, you were, if someone made an accusation against you, would your character be your defense? It doesn't mean that you're sinless, but your behavior and your demeanor cause people to respect you. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. A little bit later, In the letter to Ephesus, he writes, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave up for us, himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so again, some questions that we ought to ask anyone with the ambition of serving as an elder. Is there anything in your life that you feel would disqualify you from serving as an elder? Would any of your coworkers or family be surprised to hear that you were a leader at your church? Or are there people who would say you should not serve in church leadership, and why would they say that? These are real questions, and they're, they're sobering questions, but they're questions that we should ask of people who want to serve in this office. The second characteristic that I'll look at with you this morning is the elder must love others. The elder must set an example, and the elder must love others. 1 Timothy 3.2, Paul writes that the elder should be hospitable. And I I threw the Greek word up on the screen for you. It's phloxenos, and it means that. It means hospitality. Uh, The word is only used two other times in the New Testament. There's only two other places where this word is used. Um, and I'll, I'll show you both of them here. Uh, you see First Peter 4, verses 7 through 10. And Peter writes here, and he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then he says, offer phylloxenos, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, why is hospitality so important? The reason hospitality is so important for the elder is because hospitality is love in practice. It's putting love into practice. And this is the other place that that word phyloxenos is used in the New Testament. John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hospitality enables many of the purposes of the church to happen. When we think about why does a church exist, think with me for a moment as we wrap up here, that the answer to that question, why does Fellowship Baptist Church exist? Why are we here? What's our purpose? A lot of things jump into my mind. We're here to do ministry. We're here to do evangelism. We're here to do discipleship, to make disciples like the Great Commission says. We're here to fellowship with each other. Phylloxenos, hospitality, love and practice enables those things to happen. Because for those things to happen, church, we have to go beyond connecting with each other for just a few minutes on a Sunday morning. In order for real discipleship to happen here at Fellowship, it can't just be that we blow in here as the, the music's going Sorry, I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out in particular. But we can't just run in the door as the music's going on a Sunday. We're going to run back out the door as soon as, as, soon as I say amen and the church gets out. Right? We have to learn to live life with each other. We have to get into real relationship with each other. Well, how does that happen? It happens through phloxenos. It happens through hospitality. And elders should be the one setting the example of that. Church leaders need to model that for the other congregation members. Worship team, come on up and join me. Let's wrap up this morning. I, I have only been able to literally uh, scrape the, the iceberg on this topic, church. Um, come to the informational meeting, and hopefully I prompted some thoughts or, you know, you jotted down a couple questions based on what we talked about today, and and I'd be happy to address those when we have that informational meeting in June. We are going to get back to Mark's gospel next Sunday morning. But I just want to review the last two messages real quick as we close out today. In Acts chapter 6, I believe we begin to see God's plan for church government. We begin to see how God intended for his church to function and how it should be led what is that plan elders servant leaders servant leaders a group of men responsible primarily for prayer and the ministry of the word deacons lead servants a group of men who care for specific areas of service within the body these are the two offices of the church and God intends for his church to be fully devoted to the word and fully devoted to meeting practical needs. It shouldn't be one or the other, it should be both of these to teach and to serve. Both are essential for the body of Christ. You'll remember, I won't have you do it right now, but last Sunday I had you repeat after me we are all called to ministry, but we're not all called to the same ministry. And that's okay. God gave us His plan and His word for His church. And, and so now, how should we apply this? If, if God has given us his plan for how he wants his church to be operated, what should we do about it? Well, church, I don't see any reason for us not to imitate the structure that's given to us in the Bible and every reason for us to obey the biblical teaching pertaining to elders and deacons. The word of God speaks clearly. And, and so the only sane response when the word of God speaks clearly is to obey it. To follow it. I don't think we should ever get into the habit of saying, well, God, thanks for your opinion on this. We'll, we'll take it under advisement at our next meeting, and we'll let you know what we're going to do. I don't think that's what, should be, what our attitude should be. When the word of God is clear, the only sane response is complete and total obedience. And as we are faithful, as we are faithful to what he has asked us to do, may, be, may it be true of us what was true of the early church. Acts 6-7 wraps up that, this whole passage that talks about the creation of these two offices. And I love what is written there because as they create the offices of elder and deacon, the apostles say, hey, look, we, we can't stop preaching the word and praying in order to wait on tables. And so we need to create this other office within the church of deacon in order to take care of this need. Acts 6-7, the word of God says, and the word of god continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly as we do what god has called us to do here the way god has called us to do it the word of god will increase and the number of disciples will multiply greatly isn't that what we want to see here fellowship Don't we want to see a growing church where people are coming into faith in Jesus Christ and we are making mature disciples in Christ? Praise be to the Lord. May he lead us in that way in the days to come.